name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever had a lesson that you could very, very easily teach to someone else, but that you have a much harder time wrapping your own heart and mind around? Have you ever had a piece of advice that you could very easily share to, to someone dealing with some issue? But when you face the same issue, the, the advice just seems to fall flat. Uh, I think maybe you know what I mean about uh, what I mean by this. Um, when I was uh, just becoming a pastor, I, I can remember people coming into my office with problems. And as a new pastor, I, I wanted to make a good impression. I, I wanted to give the impression that I knew what to say, and I had all this wonderful advice to give. And, and so I can remember every time someone would come, I, I'd be ready and willing to, to give an answer. But what I, I learned is, is that very often it, it didn't seem to stick. Sometimes I felt like no matter what I said, it just wasn't getting through the way that I, I hoped. And I, I remember somewhere along the way, I, I simply asked a question rather than giving advice. And I said something like, uh, if, if one of your friends came in with this same problem, what would you tell them? And what I found is that most people had something to say right away, right? They, they were able to, to help someone else going through the issue that they're facing, but they couldn't give that same advice to themselves. They, they couldn't wrap their minds around that lesson when they were trying to, to teach it to themselves. Uh, this is what James is doing for us today. There is a very important lesson that when someone else is dealing with the problem, we, we can teach it to them. We can give them all of the advice in the world. We know exactly the right thing to say, but, but it's a much harder lesson for us to learn on our own. And so James today comes to us, and he teaches us that lesson. He shares with us the words that we need to hear from someone else. Uh, we'll, we'll get all into that, but what that issue is in a moment, and what advice James has for us. But, but first, I'd just like to talk a little bit about this letter we're about to start. This letter, uh, the letter of James, what's really fascinating about it, you, you might not have known, is that it was written by the half-brother of Jesus. That's who James was, uh, Jesus' brother through Mary. Uh, pretty neat to be reading one of his letters, isn't it? Now, uh, unfortunately, I, I, I suppose we don't know a whole lot about James. There's much that we don't know about his life. Uh, I, I kind of wish that he gave us a few stories about <laughs> what it was growing up like growing up with Jesus, uh, with having the Messiah as your brother. James doesn't tell us a lot uh, or any of those stories, and so we don't know a ton about him. Uh, we do know some important things, though. We know, for example, that James was... A bishop, in fact, the first bishop of the Christian church, where it all began in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, a bishop is really just a fancy way of saying that James was a pastor to other pastors. In fact, the pastor of, of all pastors. He was just the leader of the early Christian movement, the early Jesus movement in Jerusalem in the early days. And today, uh, James is writing as that bishop to uh, other believers, other Jesus followers scattered throughout the world. You see, what, what was happening in Israel, there was this pattern that kept on playing out in the Holy Land uh, where, where the people there were, were very often faced with suffering and persecution. Very often, neighboring countries would come in with their armies and, and take the people away in exile or, or persecute the people or, or just impose terrible conditions upon them that would cause them to run for their life to faraway lands, fleeing for safety. And, and so it is to those scattered, suffering Christians that James writes this, this letter that we have today. Uh, now, we do know a few other important things about James, just from the, the letter 
itself. Uh, the first thing that we can kind of deduce from his writings is, is that James knew his Bible. <laughs> he had very obviously been devoted to the scriptures and understood it well. There are many quotations or just kind of oblique references or allusions to the Bible. In particular, James alludes very often to the book of Proverbs. It seems like that may have been one of his favorite books. He gleans a lot from the wisdom found there. Uh, we also know that James had very clearly been paying attention to the words of his brother, Jesus. <laughs> He'll have many references or allusions to things that Jesus said. In particular, to what Jesus spoke, the teaching he gave uh, on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. He, he refers to those teaching in, in many different places. And so we know that James knew his, his Bible and, and he had been listening to Jesus. Uh, the, the other last thing I suppose we know about James is that he is very often misunderstood. Uh, many Christians, when they first read James, it, it troubles them, or at least leaves them confused. Because it, it can come across upon a, a first introductory reading of the book, like, like James has replaced faith with good works. Because he talks so much about obedience, it, it kind of feels, or it sounds like he's, he's, he's put grace to the side and put obedience in its place. Now, I, I think that is just not the case at all. If anyone was going to understand faith and grace, don't you think it would be the brother of Jesus and the first bishop of the Christian church? I think that James understood grace and faith Beautifully. I just think that what James is doing in this letter is, is he's painting for us uh, a picture of faith. And, and he's painting a picture for us of, of an abundant and vibrant and growing, living faith, right? Because that's what James wants us to have. Not some weak, sickly faith, but a growing, abundant, vibrant faith. And so for James, a growing, abundant, full, vibrant faith, it includes trusting and resting in the grace and mercy of Jesus. It, it is a life that is lived by faith. But it's also a life that includes a lot of good works. Because when you trust in Jesus and you spend time with Jesus, right, you end up living and thinking and acting like Jesus. And so J James doesn't pit good works against grace or obedience against faith. He says that a life, an abundant, full life of faith, includes all of, all of the above. So that's what James is trying to do. We need to keep that in mind over the next few weeks as, as we read along. He's trying to, to give us, he wants us to have this full, abundant life of faith. And an important part of that, in the, the very beginning of our reading for today, an important part of having the, the full life of faith that God wants for us to have is being able to see the world like God sees it. And so what James does in this opening passage is he gives us a new pair of glasses. He's correcting our vision. See, the truth is that I, I think many of us, our vision has gotten blurry. We've become very short-sighted. And, and sometimes we don't even notice it, right? We, we are so consumed with the things and the life right in front of us, our own problems and concerns, the here and the now, that, that we've, we've forgotten that there's this whole world out there beyond us. And, and we have become blinded to it. And so James today, again, in order to, to have us have the full life of faith that God longs for us to have, he's opening up our eyes. He's giving us this new pair of glasses so that we would see God and his work all, all around us, so that we would view the world in a whole new way. And, and where James starts with this is he wants us to be able to, to see our suffering in a whole new light. James is trying to change the way we see suffering. 
And what James wants is for us to look at our suffering, our trials, our hurts, and our pains. He wants us to look at those things and to see joy. Yeah, yeah, you heard that right. <laughs> I know it sounds surprising, right? Uh, but it's true. James wants us to look at our suffering and to see joy. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, that doesn't feel right, <laughs> right? The two just don't go together. They, they almost feel incompatible, irreconcilable, right? It sounds impossible. How, how can you have joy in suffering? The two just don't mix, right? They're like uh, tuna fish and ice cream. Or like uh, high blood pressure and stressful life in Hawaii, right? You just don't picture the two going together. How can, how can God want us to have joy in our sufferings? But, but that's, what, that's what he wants. You see, how we usually see suffering is we see suffering as simply bad, uh, irredeemable. We see suffering as something that needs to be conquered. Or overcome. We see it as a problem that needs to be solved, uh, something we have to get over or through or around as quickly as possible, right? Suffering, suffering is something that we pray for God to take away from us the moment it comes. But again, uh, James wants us to see our suffering how God sees suffering. And God seems to see that the joy is not only possible within our sufferings, but it's something that we ought to have. We ought to rejoice in our trials and in our pains. That's how God sees it. Uh, I, I think, as, as we'll see as, as we go on, that this is a lesson that we know, actually. We, we understand this deep down. Again, this is a lesson we could probably give to our friends. So getting back to what we talked about right at the beginning, right? If we had a friend, a loved one, a Christian brother or sister going through some struggle, right? We would be able to give them the advice that James gives us, right? We'd be able to tell them. That, that God is doing something here, right? He's working some good, that there, there can be joy from suffering. And, and we also know this just on a practical level, don't we? Right? Whether it's diet or exercise, we know that something good can come from something hard. Uh, it's not easy to go on a diet and give up our favorite foods or to be a little hungry all day or to put on our gym shoes and go for a jog or or visit the gym a few times a week. There's some suffering involved there. We know that, but we also know that diet and exercise can bring about joy, right? We, we might know it when it comes to our finances, right? That creating a budget and kind of paring things back in order to reach a goal or to buy our homes, it's, it's necessary. It's not easy, but it can bring about joy. Uh, we, we know that studying hard for a test isn't easy. There's a cost Involved. There's some suffering there, but when we pass the, the test or the class or get the certification or the job, right? Oh, what a moment of joy. So, so we know this somewhere in our minds, and we could give this advice to someone else. But when life gets hard, and I'm talking really hard, this is a hard lesson to teach ourselves. And so today, James teaches us the lesson that we need to hear. Sometimes we need to hear it from someone else. And so this is what James gives us today. He's reminding us that, yes, even in our trouble, as bad as it might be, there is joy. Now, I think it's interesting and important <laughs> that James is very vague on this, right? He calls it today various trials, and he doesn't do a lot of explaining of what that means. And I think it's intentionally vague, right? But he does give one example, doesn't he? It's the example of poverty, and he, he describes it, talks about it, in verses 9 through 11. And I think poverty is a good example. You see, in our world today, we tend to view 
riches as the goal, right? When, when you have a lot, then you've made it. Uh, we find our identity in our riches, our security in riches and having enough, right? If, if we just can get our bank account or 401k to, to the right level, well, then we'll be secure, we'll be happy, we'll have an identity. Uh, our world values and uplifts riches and abundance. And sometimes it's only when we are brought to that point of poverty, only when so much is taken away from us, that we begin to see how much we need Jesus and how much we have in Jesus and, and how all of those things uh, that money can't buy, right? Money cannot buy happiness. It cannot buy eternal security. Uh, money can't buy your God-given identity. And sometimes, it's again, it's only when when our money is taken away from us and we find ourselves with little or maybe nothing, that God begins to do his work on our hearts. And he uses that poverty then to, to grow our faith. Because we, we can't hold on to money, we learn to hold on to Jesus. And, and that's where that vibrant and abundant and full life of faith begins to grow inside of us. The, the, the life that God wants for us slowly begins to come into form. And so Paul says, or James says, I'm sorry, James will tell us that we can rejoice in our suffering, even financial suffering. And, and not just financial suffering, though. What, what could be said of our financial suffering could also be said of the suffering we go through when we are betrayed by a friend or someone gossips about us or a reputation is hurt. It could be said in our moments of loss and, and death. It could be said in our moments of sickness, right? Aren't these fitting words for this pandemic we're living in with, with the coronavirus, right? Many of us are suffering now. Uh, some of us, maybe you've gotten sick or maybe you've lost someone that you love or, or maybe it's a financial suffering because your hours have been cut or your job has been lost or maybe it's the suffering of loneliness and, and isolation. Many of us are suffering now. And, and I think you'll never turn on the news and, and be encouraged to rejoice, that's just not a message our, our culture will tell us today. Uh, but James does. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we don't still look for cures and treatments. That's not the point at all, right? It's just that until those come, James would tell us that there is a reason for joy. Even now, God has given us a reason to rejoice. And God can even use this time now for our good to give us the life and the faith now, we know this is a hard thing to wrap our minds around, right? It's one thing for us to understand that diet and exercise can bring joy or studying for a test, right? But when, when life gets really hard, like it is now for many of us, it's much harder to understand. It's much harder to see what good could come out of it. And I think James knows this, right? He understands this. And, and that's why he gives us a, a couple pieces of advice, a couple encouragements. And, and the first is to pray. Right? When you're in the midst of that trial, whether it's a pandemic or, or a betrayal, whether someone's gossiped about you or, or you're going through financial loss, right? the first thing James says to do is pray. He says, pray for wisdom. And so we do it. When, when we're going through these trials, we pray, Lord, teach me whatever it is you want to teach me. Remind me that you are here. Show me what you're up to in life. Work some good through this. The truth is sometimes we'll never see, we'll never be able to see with our eyes in this life what good God was doing through that hard time. And so we simply pray, Lord, your will be done. However you're going to do it, work some good through this bad. 
And so we, we start by praying, turning to God, asking for wisdom, asking for him to use these moments to shape us and mold us into his image, to bring about that full life of faith. Uh, the second thing that uh, uh, James encourages us to do, which is tied to this prayer for wisdom, is to trust, to believe, have faith. And, and what is faith but, but a, a life that is focused outward? James, in a sense, is, is saying you've become short-sighted and you're focused inward on yourself. But believe, trust, have faith. Look to, to Jesus. Remember his cross, right? Fix your eyes there. Because again, when we're looking inward, when we're focused on ourselves, all we'll see is the hurt and the pain, and, and we won't find a way out. And so instead, James reminds us that we are invited to look to Jesus. And when we do, well, when we do, we'll see a God who is always with us. We'll see a God who never leaves us or forsakes us, even in the midst of our suffering. We'll see a God who understands suffering because he suffered on the cross too. And, and we'll see a God who, who is able through suffering to redeem our suffering. Well, we'll see that, that God can work good from pain because he has worked good from pain. And the cross is the best example of that. And so he says today, trust, believe, have faith, look to Jesus. And I think that's the only way that we'll begin to find joy. As we pray, God, work through this. And as we trust and believe and have faith and fix our eyes on the Christ, that's the only way that we'll have joy. That we will have joy. Because God has overcome our suffering through his suffering. Because he's in and with us in our suffering. Because he understands our suffering. Because he's put an end to suffering once and for all. Now, I, I think it needs to be said that we do not rejoice simply in the bad thing. Right? We don't rejoice that Christians are being persecuted today. We don't rejoice that our loved ones have died. We don't rejoice that people all over the world are getting sick with COVID-19. No, our joy comes from, from the God we fixed our eyes on, the God who has overcome these problems once and for all in Jesus. Our joy is found that, that we know that Jesus is with us here and now our joy comes from a God who is both powerful enough and loving enough to work through bad to bring about good. That's our reason for joy. Uh, as I've been thinking about this this week, our trials and the joy that comes from it, I've, uh, I've been thinking about my daughter a little, which uh, I often do, being a new dad. Uh, I've been thinking, though, because my, my daughter has been going through some of her own trials and tribulations. Now, she's only six months old, so they're, uh, they're pretty minor in the big picture, although maybe she would disagree with me. Uh, these trials have come about because she is learning to crawl and to stand. And now she can't do either one yet. Uh, she's got a little ways to go. Uh, but these are things that we're working on uh, as a family. And so uh, every day I'll, I'll put her down on her belly and I'll lay her toys out in front of her and uh, I'll encourage her and cheer her on to, to reach for those toys and start to, to learn how to move and crawl forward. And, and the same is true of, of standing. Every day I'll, I'll kind of stand her up and she'll grab my fingers and we're, we're working on her balance there. Now, in both cases, the crawling and the standing, at first, she's full of joy. Uh, you should see her smile, right, when, when we stand her up on her feet. It's like she's seeing the world from this whole new place and she loves it and, she loves when we put her down on the ground and put her toys in front of her. She's excited. Uh, but there usually comes a point, a few minutes into it, when she has had enough. <laughs> when the struggle has 
become real, and, and she's having a hard time with it. When, when uh, a few minutes into it, her, her legs begin to get tired and wobble, and, and she'll even begin to fall. Or, or when she's on her belly and she sees the toys there, but she hasn't quite figured out how to coordinate arms and legs, and she'll, she can't reach the, the, the toy she, she so desperately wants to have. And so eventually, she'll, she'll get frustrated. Now, as her dad, uh, I, I could keep her from all of that struggle, couldn't I? I could just hold her in my arms 24 hours a day, and she would be safe there. She wouldn't know any of that pain. And I would be happy too. I, I love uh, holding her, but that wouldn't be what's best for her, would it? Right? That, that wouldn't be the life that I want for her. I want her to have a, a life where she learns how to, to crawl and stand and, and walk and run and jump and skip and play and, and, and have fun with her friends. Right? I want those things with her. And the only way she's going to get there is through some trial and struggle. Now, she may not be able to see that. But I know that as her father, and what I know, and, and again, what she might not be able to see, is that I'm not going to let anything bad happen to her, and that I'm with her the entire time. I, I've got her securely in my arms. I'm not going to let her get hurt. And, and I'm cheering her on the other time. I'm patting her on the back. I'm there to catch her when she falls. And, and I think that all of that is true of our father. In his infinite wisdom, right, he knows better than us. And in order for us to have the, the full and abundant and vibrant faith that we were meant to have, God works through our trials and our struggles, our hurt and our pain. He has redeemed those things, and he works through them today for our good. And he is cheering us on, and he is always there by our side. And through his outstretched arms on the cross, he is holding us up so that we would not stumble but enter into his everlasting life. That's why we rejoice. In Jesus' name.